Welcome to the Weekly Walk Podcast, where we bring you impactful sermons from our vibrant Seventh-day Adventist community in Onalaska, Washington. Join us as we explore faith, hope, and love through engaging sermons and inspiring stories. Whether you're a longtime member or just curious about our beliefs, tune in to find spiritual nourishment and a sense of community in our shared journey of faith. I uh, want to wish you a happy new year. This is my first Sabbath in Onalaska in 2024. Last Sabbath we were at Winlock. And the Sabbath before, I mentioned this during uh, Sabbath school, the last Sabbath of December, we had the privilege of going to Portland where they had GYC. How many of you know what GYC is? Yeah, most of you do. Um, It has special significance for Myrna and I because uh, when our girls were college age, or were they even in high school? College. Uh, We were at uh, Berman College, which is in central Alberta. We lived, uh, taught in the elementary school there, grades uh, K to nine school. And uh, 21 of the students at Berman decided to go together They rented three vans, and they traveled all the way from Alberta down to Sacramento, California, for the first offering of GYC. Now, of course, GYC is a conference designed for young people that age. And uh, that, that conference had such an impact on our daughters that they both decided that they wanted to go and be trained at a Bible school to learn how to be Bible workers and to work for the Lord. And uh, it, it, I have to say, it not only had a special impact on them, but on our family and our spiritual journey. Um, the girls led the way, sort of, in our spiritual rejuvenation. Those 21 kids came back, and they were so inspired by what GYC had done for them that they started uh, a Canadian chapter. They called it Acts for Christ. And they had conferences for Canadian young people in Western Canada and alternated from British Columbia to Alberta. Every year they'd have a conference. And believe it or not, the Lord blessed them. They got back the first part of January and they had a whole conference put together by spring break, which was about March. Full complement of speakers and they they held it right on the campus of uh, Berman University. And uh, believe it or not, that's the first time we got to hear my son-in-law speak. He and Sharice weren't even an item. They didn't even know one another at that time. But we heard him speak and deliver because he was one of the, one of the uh, presenters at that conference. So this GYC, it was amazing to be there. 4,400 attendees in that conference area. A little further away? Okay. Over 4,000 young people. They let some older folks in there as well. We snuck in and had to pre-register so you aren't getting just uh, anybody coming in. But, uh, and their, their, their theme, we talked about that in Sabbath school, the theme was, but if not, that, that momentous phrase shared by the Hebrew worthies when they were addressing King Nebuchadnezzar, like, oh, King, our God can deliver us. We have full confidence and trust in that. But if not, Daniel 3, you know the story. 
We won't. If he chooses not to deliver us, we still aren't going to serve your, your image, the golden image that was set up. What an encouragement. And the speakers focused on that as their, as their theme, and it was really wonderful. Now, do you think it's important? Do you think it's important to be preparing for eternity? It's probably the most important thing we can do in this lifetime, is it not? And today we're going to explore some ways that we can do that. But before we do that, just bow your heads with me and we're going to pray together. Father in heaven, I humble myself before you and just pray that you, through your Holy Spirit, will speak through me so that uh, what is shared will be a blessing uh, and we can be in tune with uh, how we can be getting ready for your soon return. Lord, we long for that day and uh, may it be in our hearts to do all we can to prepare ourselves and our loved ones and others for that great event. Thank you for hearing this prayer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, before I go into the um, sermon proper, I wanted to ask a couple of questions. Why 10 days of prayer? What's the significance of that? And do you think that's a good way to start the new year? The 10 days of prayer... I remember it was just being encouraged by the North American Division, kind of when I started, when I transitioned from teaching to pastoral ministry, made a transition from Alberta to BC. And I remember, I thought in my mind, there's no better way to start the new year than coming together as a group, church family, and starting it by praying together, doing some Bible study, now, as it was mentioned in the, in the bulletin, the, uh, the readings or the, the theme of this year's 10 Days of Prayer is Priorities of Faith. And I have to tell you that Myrna and I got a bit of a sneak preview because Winlock started January 3rd, and they're finishing up today is the high Sabbath. They're wrapping it up in Winlock. So I started it off, and we attended as many as we could. We were up at Sunset Lake for a few days, so we missed a few of the readings. But they're very good. I encourage you to carve out the time if you can, and let's come together and get the special blessing God has in store for us. Turn in your book just to lay the groundwork, 10 Days of Prayer. What's that based on? Go to the book of Acts. Uh, book of Acts, chapter 1. And we're going to, I want to look at verse 8. I want to look at verse 8. Jesus says, it's read, But you shall receive what? Power when what? The Holy Spirit has come upon you. And he told them to go to Jerusalem and wait for that. Did he not? And uh, you, shall be, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In other words, not, nowhere was it going to be missing the power of the Holy Spirit to be seen. Amen? So, Jesus made this command. The disciples obeyed that command. And do you know how long they were in Jerusalem before the Holy Spirit came down? There you have, why 10 days of prayer? That's exactly what the disciples 
how much time they spent together, preparing their hearts, making things right, becoming unified, and then Acts chapter 2 happened. Amen? Let's just read the first four verses in Acts chapter 2 together. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were what? All with one accord, meaning unified in one place. They were together, spending these ten days. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And believe me, that was a manifestation of speaking in tongues and the Holy Spirit, different than many things that we see happening today, claiming it's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Of course, when Peter spoke, 15 different people, uh, groups, if you look at uh, in verses 9, 10, and 11, it identifies 15 different people groups heard in their native tongue. So that was a manifestation. And the reason, what was the reason the, the spirit of tongues was given? It was so the gospel message was going to be going. It wasn't a feel-good experience, say, oh, look at what I can do, or look at, uh, I'm, a, I'm somewhat uh, more of an elevated Christian than I have this gift and you don't. No, it was given so that the, the work could be done. The love of God could be spread to all these different people groups. They understood and they could take back what they had seen and heard. Amazing. Do you want to be part of that? We're told in the Bible that the latter rain is going to be even more profound than the former rain. The former rain is what we just read, Pentecost. The latter rain is going to be an amazing time to be living in. I want to share a quote from, um, that's just a plug for why the 10 days of prayer. It's well worth all of our time to come together. So I encourage you to give that prayerful consideration. Testimonies to the Church, Volume 4, Paragraph 2, talking about preparing for eternity. The precious time of probation is passing, and few realize that it is given them for the purpose of preparing for eternity. The golden hours are squandered in worldly pursuits, in pleasure, in absolute sin. Wow, that's a pretty amazing quote. And then another quote penned by Ellen White, This Day with God, page 117, paragraph 4. Our life work now should be to prepare for eternity. We know not how soon our life work here may close and how essential that our low, sinful nature should be overcome and we conform to the image of Christ. We have not one moment moment's time to squander. We need to be daily preparing for eternity. Our lifetime has granted us to seek the boon of eternal life. God has granted us a probation, and if we live our threescore years and ten, how short is this period to, the, to work out our salvation? Then compare this period with the life that measures with the life of God. The short period of our test and proving may end any time. Then how earnest should we be to secure a clear title to a home in the earth made new? It's 
serious things to be pondering, right? Um, we had one exercise up at, uh, I was up at Sunset Lake for a couple of days with, uh, for pastors workers meeting and, uh, Paul Dibdahl, who's a professor at Andrews, led a number of, uh, sessions. And one of the things he, one question that he had, we, we focused on Moses. Moses knew that he had messed up and God had told him that he wouldn't go into the promised land. And he told him when and where he was going to go to his rest. And if you look at the story, the story is very interesting. He, uh, Moses instructed by God, hiked up Mount Nebo. He was vigorous, strong, hiked up with no uh, help on anybody's part. And God showed him Canaan from the height of Mount Nebo. But then that's where he went to his rest. Not for very long, though. We know that angels were sent and he was resurrected and uh, taken to heaven then. And that represents those that do die. It's kind of like the first victory, the first fruits, right? Um, Enoch and Elijah both didn't see death and they were taken up to heaven. But Moses died and then was resurrected and taken to heaven. But the question was asked, and we had an interesting discussion. If you could... Would you like to know when and how you're going to die? Well, that's pretty, pretty quick answers. You don't want to know. There you go. I said I would. I would like to know. There's probably, there's probably some, we could have some debate here, and probably some vibrant discussion on that topic, but it's something to ponder. You can take it home and talk it over with your spouse and reflect on it. There's pros and cons for both, right? If you know when and how, that probably gives you some preparation time, but then you wouldn't want to squander it. The, the essence that we came to in our table is we need to be ready every day, don't we? We need to be ready every day. Don't put it off because, oh, it's going to be some future event or I'm going to have months of being terminally ill and then I'll get my heart right and so forth. There's no guarantees of how the Holy Spirit works. When the Holy Spirit knocks on your door, heart's door, you want to respond to that today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Amen? So, I want to just, in the next few minutes, I want to explore seven principles that can be applied in your life that will help prepare yourself and your families, your loved ones, for eternity. And some of these are not going to be any surprise to you, but as we begin the new year, it's good to reflect on what course do we have charted for our lives and are we working our way to that ultimate goal? We need, principle number one, we need to personally be spending time with God in his word on a regular basis, i.e. every day if possible. Every morning is prepared, is preferred. Just like the manna that came, they had to get out and gather it in the morning before the sun came out, how many times do we have good intentions to spend time in God's Word, devotional life, and then the phone rings, or you think of something else, and whatever? Uh, I know Myrne, she's a real server, and there's always things to do. And once she gets her day on the go, she often says, Why? You know, I got so busy, I forgot, forgot to do the devotion. So then she tries to get the, the, it caught up. And that happens to everyone. That happens to everyone. But let's carve out that time. You can choose a reading plan and version of the Bible that you enjoy 
and begin or continue to be positively impacted by his word. Uh, that's important. Choose a, choose a translation that is understandable for you. If you need a reading plan or would want one, see me. I've got copies that I can give you. In fact, I think last year I gave out uh, 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 It Is Written, and it combined Desire of Ages with reading through the Bible. And uh, one, of my, one of my couples in Winlock said, thank you so much for offering that for us. We diligently went through it, and we just finished it up at the end of December, and it was a real blessing. So these things can be a real blessing. Um, principle one, then, spending time in his word. I said, uh, God was way ahead of text technology. He texted us. <laughs> he texted us. 1,500 years, uh, over the course of 1,500 years, 40-some uh, authors, and it's a cohesive... Uh, re revelation of God's love and his plan of salvation to save each one of us. Amen? Principle number two goes along with Bible study prayer. Bible study is prayer, right? Spend time with him, communicating with him in prayer. In fact, before you open the word, say that prayer to ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance and teaching and uh, to take you where you need to go for that day. If you are a married couple, I encourage you to pray together. The chances of having marital problems dramatically reduces for couples who pray with and for one another on a regular basis. I read a book, it was entitled Couples Who Pray, and she said instead of the divorce rate for couples who spend time praying and that are spiritual, instead of it being one in two, like sort of the general population, and unfortunately, you know, even the Christian population isn't much different as far as marital struggles than uh, the outside community. But she said it goes from one in two marriages have the potential to fail to one in a hundred. Think about it. If you're on your knees, lifting each other up and praying together and praying for one another, and I'm going to say that, that prayer isn't the time to pray, oh, be with my husband and he's battling with this and trying to correct him, but to actually uh, admonish, encourage, as uh, we learned that word today. Um, I'm going to also say uh, individual prayer, your personal prayer life is important, but make time and effort to attend weekly prayer meetings, corporate prayer, as well as special times, such as this upcoming 10 days of prayer that we're going to begin next Wednesday. Encourage you to to take that in. Third principle, preparing for eternity. Look for opportunities to share your faith. Look for opportunities to share your faith. Get involved in a small group or pray that God will provide someone for you to study the Bible with and that is seeking truth, biblical truth. If you pray that prayer, give me someone to share the love that I've experienced through you that's a definite prayer that God wants to answer. You know that. <clears throat> and I've, I've said this numerous times before. When you get into the Word with someone and you get a chance, a front row seat, to see the Holy Spirit working on a person's heart and life, the soul that is going to be saved might be your soul. Might be your soul that's saved. 
because it has a profile. That's the genius of God. He didn't leave it with the angels. He didn't leave it with uh, just a small group of people. He were all. We're all to be witnesses, his witnesses, and take the times and open up the Bible. And don't feel like you don't have resources. I've got so many lessons. I can direct you to so many things. If you get, if you land a Bible study, don't have any fears about that. You can, uh, you can do it. No problem. And it's enriching, spiritually enriching. Principle number four. If you have children at home, Please find the time to have family worship at a minimum once a day. Morning and evening would even be better. Please find a resource that fits the age of your children and engage them in the worship experience as soon as they are able. You can't expect to be a positive influence in your children's or grandchildren's lives if you aren't experiencing a meaningful, vibrant relationship with Jesus yourself. And John 10.10 10 tells us, I've come that you may have life, you may have it more abundantly. Our children and grandchildren need to see that a Christian journey, what a vibrant relationship with Jesus looks like. Um, I, w I remember once, uh, I still have the little note from Sharice, she stuck it in the clear word. Myrna and I were reading through the clear word, the Bible, that that particular season, and she she put a little sticky note in the Bible. When we opened it up, we saw it. She said, thank you for your faithfulness. And then she put the little acronym for faith that I taught her. Faith for all, I trust him. And she said, thank you for your Christian example in that note. And we treasure that. I think it's still in that clear word Bible, that little sticky note from our daughter. Amen? Also, Make worship interesting. Make interest, worship interesting. We got, when the girls were young, we got a, a worship box that had little manipulatives to play with, to handle when they sang songs. Jesus wants me to be a sunbeam, you know, sunbeam on, or a headband with the rays of the sun coming out. And you know what? It's amazing. That worship box has survived. We're now watching our daughter use it with her family with the grandchildren, these same things. Make it meaningful, engage your children, make it uh, a real event for them, something that they look forward to. And uh, little Shiloh, the two-year-old, she's getting pretty uh, talkative. She gets the worship box, she says, worship time, worship time. And uh, that's a blessing to see that. Um, principle number five, what would heaven be like if our families aren't with us? Pray for your children and grandchildren every day. Lift them up to the Lord and, and empower Him to protect them, nurture them, and bring them under conviction if need be. Don't ever give up on asking the Lord to positively intervene in their lives every day. You know, what is, turn, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Malachi, the last couple of verses in the Old Testament. Malachi is the last book. And we're going to look at the last couple of verses here. Malachi chapter five, uh, 4, and we'll read verses 5 and 6, says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And I especially like verse 6. Elijah, what a great prophet he was. I'm contemplating doing a series of that 
on Elijah in the new year. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. You know what? If children have been brought up with the principles of knowing God, understanding his love for them, they might have a wilderness experience. They might have a prodigal wandering. But they always have that foundation to come back. And you know what I've seen very often is young adults will drift away. But when they start having their own children, that's a wake-up call. That I'm now responsible for this little soul and how should they be brought up with what kind of an understanding. And that often gives them the, the uh, drive to come back to church and establish their roots, how they've been taught and so forth. So pray for your children and grandchildren. Don't give up on them. The Lord won't. Principle number six, your children need to see you actively involved in your church family. You need to model to them that what goes on in the various ministries at the church are important enough for you to sacrifice some of your personal time to get involved. It isn't enough to just come to Sabbath school and church once a week. It's a good place, but especially in a small church, everybody needs to roll up their sleeves and get involved in the department and plan things and contribute uh, with the blessings uh, the Lord has given you. I remember when the girls were young, it was still safe to do in-gathering. That's kind of gone by the wayside with uh, the way we find ourselves, the culture we live in now. We used to take canned music. Uh, Myrn would often bake some muffins or something, and we'd go in our neighborhood and sing Christmas carols and do the in-gathering pitch and so forth. And the girls were actively involved with us as a family. We would do that. So get involved. Get involved in your local church. It's good for the kids to see that. And of course, we're all, we're all responsible. Any parents, any children the Lord has blessed this church with, we all have an influence on them, not just the parents. Amen? Uh, Max, my oldest grandson, he's 10 years old, was sharing with us they went did some door-to-door -door work in Australia, and he was sharing with us, and he was so excited that they met a young man who requested Bible studies as a result of going door-to-door -door with his mom. Principle seven. If there is a Seventh-day Adventist school in your area, make whatever sacrifices you have to in order to have your children or grandchildren benefit from a Seventh-day Adventist Christian education. We lived, the Lord bless us with two girls. We lived in a small community about an hour's, a little over an hour's drive east of Edmonton. And when they got school age, we decided it was time for us to search for a, a relocation where there was a Seventh-day Adventist Academy. And that entailed a career change for me from teaching into a sales, a sales opportunity. And we packed up and we moved to Calgary, where there was a 12th grade academy called Chinook Winds Adventist Academy. Um, I think I might have shared part of this testimony before, but it fits in here. The, uh, the Lord blessed in an incredible way. The woman, the woman that bought our home, we had built a home in Vegreville, 
the woman that bought our home had a home very similar to it. It was a four-level split in the northwest part of Calgary, which was where the academy was. So what we did is, uh, upon the sale of the home, we took off the price of a lease of her house in Calgary for one year. So we didn't have to worry about rent. We just took it out of the equity of our home. Well, lo and behold, when we made the transition, um, three months into the job, financial circumstances for that company reversed. And I was one of the last people on, and they had to cut back. I didn't have a track record. I was just getting to know my clients. They laid me off, or actually terminated my job, terminated my position. That was a little bit stressful. Mern was more stressed than I was. I said, I told Mern, if you recall, the Lord wanted us in Calgary. We just need to be patient to see why he brought us here. So, um, as, it, as it turned out, um, the academy needed someone, Chinook Winds Adventist Academy needed a teacher to fill in for someone that was on medical leave. So I filled in for that teacher and got to know the staff. And then lo and behold, a couple months later, a couple months later, the academy was hiring two new teachers. And we were right there, anxious to go to work. Mern had, uh, Mern had landed a job in the public system. Quite miraculously, that's a different story in itself. How she got a job, a temporary job, a six-month run, and uh, the Lord just looked after us. And uh, transitioning, I was in the public school teaching system, transitioning us from the public to the Adventist system was quite a salary differential. But the Lord, when you go through unemployment, you don't worry about the salary differential. You're just happy to get back employed and get a job, right? And uh, one of the, the first job I had, my oldest daughter was one of my students, which was a blessing as well. So the Lord had his hand amazingly through that whole process. And uh, as we look back, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. We can see exactly how the Lord orchestrated. He got us there. The move, the company paid for the move, so the church wasn't up for moving us from Beggarville to Calgary. And uh, many other things could be shared. But there we were. The girls could avail themselves of a Seventh-day Adventist Christian education. And what a blessing that was. Um, I don't for a second have any regrets of the changes that we made as a family to make this provision for the girls. Now, that being said, Seventh-day Adventist Christian education. What a beautiful thing that is if, if you're in an area where you can do that and make the sacrifice. But uh, those of you who choose to homeschool your children are doing a wonderful work. And it is a great educational alternative to formal education. Whenever I've had homeschoolers in my district, if there was an Adventist academy, I never put undue pressure on them to get the kids in the academy. Because if homeschool is doing right, being done right, that's amazing for children to be in that environment to get uh, taught by their parents. Now, the one thing I want to caveat too is don't get hung up on the cost of a Seventh-day Adventist Christian education. Think of it as an investment in your child's future. Could be your child, could be a grandchild if you help. It's a good, 
it's a good time for grandparents to step in and help support uh, the tuition costs and so forth. All of our Seventh-day Adventist schools, even post-secondary, Walla Walla, so forth, uh, make provision for families that need financial help in order to have their children experience Seventh-day Adventist Christian education. There's programs, there's worthy students, there's whatever. Um, as a school system, we don't want anyone deprived because they feel they don't have the money. So don't, don't let that be a hindrance for you. Providing a Christian, Seventh-day Adventist Christian education may be one of the best ways to help your child to prepare for eternity because it's reinforcing if it's done right. Our educational system is, we put a lot of money and effort into it, and if the teachers are doing what they should be doing in the classrooms, uh, that's the greatest evangelistic tool because you get to rub soldiers and get to know your non-Adventist families and so forth. Um, the LCAS, Lewis County Adventist School, gave the pastors in the area, although we're not constituent supporters of the school, maybe down the road that's something we may want to consider, they gave me a shirt which said, pastors are teachers in the pulpit, and teachers are pastors in a classroom. Isn't that, that's an interesting one. Very apropos for me, coming from a teaching background. Um, in fact, when I was considering, when the Holy Spirit was putting on my heart, um, maybe a transition from teaching in the classroom to pastoral ministry, my father was still alive. And I sat down and was sharing with him these movings of the Spirit of my heart that maybe I should consider transitioning into pastoral ministry from a teaching ministry. And he looked at me and he said, uh, why would you want to do that, son? He said, don't you know you are a pastor? And you see your congregation five days a week for five or six hours a day, and you're having a profound influence on them. I was teaching the upper elementary, 11 and 12-year-olds, and that's a ripe age for making decisions for Jesus. I saw many of the students get baptized, and teaching Bible class was the highlight of the day for us. Um, he said, you're, you're way more effective than I am. He said, I only see my members once a week, maybe twice if a handful of them show up for a prayer meeting, midweek service, and you're having way more effect and influence on your little congregation than I am on mine. He says, keep doing what you're doing. That was his advice to me. But after he passed, the Holy Spirit did open up doors, and it was clear this is the direction he wanted us to go in to go into pastoral ministry. Turn with me. Turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to wrap things up. Matthew 6. I want to take a look at things here. Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to read verses 19, 19 to 21. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there what? Your heart will be also. Where's your treasure? Where's your heart? Have you ever wondered... What is the treasure of heaven? You ever wondered what the treasure of heaven is? 
Let's go to our, this was the text that was shared uh, for our scripture reading, Matthew 13. And there's a, a couple of parables, back-to-back verses here. It starts, and let's go start with verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure in a hidden field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So we know the spiritual application, treasure in the field, sell everything to obtain that treasure. Um, in Christ Object Lessons, Ellen White tells us that that treasure in the field is salvation, the gift of salvation. When you discover salvation, you don't let anything hinder you, any possessions, any worldly distractions, whatever, from obtaining the gift of that salvation, right? And then the... the uh, Parallel uh, parable begins in verse 45. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So this has a similar application as the treasure in the field, right? Salvation, whatever. Ellen White in Christ's Object Lessons uh, explains a second meaning for this. And uh, she says, you can look at Christ as being the heavenly merchant. And he actually gave up everything. He was the sovereign of the universe. He gave up everything to come down to this earth to seek the pearl of great price. What's the pearl of great price? I'm looking at them right here. We've got a sanctuary full of pearls of great price. Have you ever thought of yourself as that? You should. Christ emptied heaven to come down, live a perfect life we never could live, lay down his life in ransom to pay our penalty so that we could uh, enjoy heaven. So what is, what's the treasure of heaven? Um, us souls that they've prepared. They've made all this preparation. The plan of salvation, what an amazing plan. What an amazing plan. Turn with me to the uh, Luke. We're just about wrapped done here. Luke chapter 15. And this, you know, if you ever lose something, you go to the lost and found, right? Luke 15 is heaven's lost and found, isn't it? <laughs> there, we've got three stories going on here, and we're not going to go through all of them. But uh, Verse 10, the, the, the story of the lost sheep and the man that loses the sheep, that's the first parable in the sequence of three, ends with the lost son, the prodigal son. But at verse 10 it says, um, Let's look at verse 7. Actually, verse 6. When he comes home after he's found his lost sheep, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. And each of these stories <coughs> shares with us the joy when the loss is found. Amen? The joy it gives the shepherd. 
the joy it gives the woman who lost the one the coin, the joy of the father when the prodigal comes home. There's joy in heaven. That's the treasure of heaven. It's not the golden streets. It's not the mansions. It's all the people that God has made provision for that have accepted his gift of salvation and uh, are ready, ready to enter into that gift. So, preparation for eternity. Is it worth the effort? Don't get dissuaded. Don't get distracted. And if you have children, be diligent in their training, in investing in them, and showing them, modeling them what it means to live an abundant Christian life so that they will want that for themselves and their families. Amen? Don't let anything knock us off that track. The devil has many distractions, but uh, I want to be there, don't you? I want to be surrounded by my children and grandchildren as well, as well as all those that I've studied with as well. Amen? Is that your desire? Let's have a prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you for all that you've done, all the provision you've made for us to be reconciled to you, to be able to look forward to eternity with you in heaven and on the earth made new. Help us to be faithful to you in every aspect of our lives. Nothing is worth standing between us and a restored relationship with you. May we make a full surrender and dedicate our lives to you and make a covenant with you this new year that we're going to take the time, spend the time to deepen our relationship with you and model that for our children and grandchildren. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on this journey through faith and community. As we conclude today's episode, we encourage you to carry the spirit of fellowship and compassion into your week ahead. Remember, in On Alaska and beyond, let's continue to spread love and understanding, reflecting the teachings of Christ in all that we do. If you ever find yourself in the neighborhood, feel free to stop in and say hi. We will gladly share a meal with you. Till next week.